Hello, everyday leaders. Tonight is Wednesday. It is February the 10th. I have to always look at my calendar. I am Melanie Ake with Everyday Leaders Platform. And through COVID, and especially tonight, I am bringing you value with people in my life that I have met and connected to, oh my goodness, on so many platforms. Tonight, Robin Edgar with Wealth Progression Group is going to just share her journey with us. And I love it because she talks about confidence. Now, we all need to build our confidence. So as a mother, as a businesswoman, as somebody that's fought her way in the industry to be at the top of her game, I am just so excited, Robin, to have you on and share your story tonight. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, this is awesome. You know, when I say connections, Justin Breen connected us through LinkedIn last year. And it was one of those quick, like, okay, who do you know that I should know? Yep. <laughs> and he said, you got to call Robin. And so we're actually probably geographically pretty close because I'm in Indianapolis and you're just north of me in Chicago. Nope. I'm in Minneapolis. Oh, Minneapolis. Sorry. That's okay. In there. Um, so, but the thing is, right, we connected pretty quick because when you have people of purpose that are in these same networking groups and you say, you've got to know this person because your heart is absolutely in the same place. And all that you do is try to add value in everything and bringing people purpose and living your purpose. So, uh, Robin, tell us about what you do. First of all, you're a mother, um, your journey as a businesswoman, and how you started to build your own confidence. Yeah, so I am a mother of two daughters. I have four grandchildren. I'm very proud. Both of my daughters own their own companies and their own business, and we share an office, even though we all do different things. Uh, I never would have envisioned, if you would have asked me even 10 years ago, um, you know, sorry, if that, you know, could be the case and could happen. But uh, it is, as, as I've been in the business as a financial advisor for 30 years, uh, it is when you only kind of get down the road and look back that you start to survey and realize the things that you did that really worked out good um, and the things that maybe didn't work out as well as you thought. But with my kids, uh, my two daughters, I realized one of the famous quotes I use is I watch the tongue in their shoe, not the tongue in their mouth. Um, and that has been uh, kind of a lifelong uh, way that I've looked at things. And uh, because there's a lot of people out there that do a lot of good talking, uh, and but they're not people that follow it up with action. And I say the tongue in your shoe is the action uh, and I just realized over the years that my kids um, didn't become entrepreneurial and good givers and good connectors and all of the things they're good at because I told them to do that. They did it because they saw me doing it. Uh, and I, I share that because a lot of times we don't realize that our, you know, our kids are just like other business people that we work with in that. Um, it's, it's the givers and the doers and the people that follow up and, uh, and do what they say they're going to do and support your nonprofits, you know, even if it isn't maybe the top nonprofit, you know, on my list, if you're supporting a nonprofit and I support you and I know you're a good person, uh, and we both come from the same purpose or heart space, um, I'm a giver. Uh, I'm just going to give, and I, I've learned that it comes back to me tenfold, and we talk about that, and it kind of mixes over into the faith journey a little bit, but I, I really do think that that stands out for me as far as when I look back on how I've built confidence and, and my family and just everything that I've done. So. so I want you to go back. When you say, you know, showing up for other people, especially nonprofits, because here we've been through a really hard year and nonprofits have suffered tremendously. Mm -hmm. uh, they are purposeful in having these live events to be able to have big sponsors and yes. big sponsors. And so everything going virtual, you know, I think I know how I feel about this and I know I would love to just hear your response. Mm -hmm. to this. And, and so showing up, right. Showing when well, you can't show up physically, what specifically are you doing to help nonprofits, like driving visibility and then yeah. helping them share their voice? You know, I think that's kind of a message that I want to get out to people 
because I'm helping a nonprofit and I, and I'm doing some things that are interesting, but I would love to hear you are such, um, I just have so much respect for you and the credibility, you know, to be able to help people learn, like, what are you doing? What do you need to try to do if you haven't, Mm -hmm. if you don't know? Well, I've realized after 30 years in the business, a lot of the way you build your business uh, as a as a self-employed person, especially, and I'm building it from the ground up over those years, is you have to be involved in your community and you have to give, as I already mentioned. And so I'm I've been, you know, the chamber president. I've been the United Way president. I've been the United Way, you know, in charge of the fundraiser for the year. I've been on hospital boards. I've been on college boards. Uh, I've raised money. I've been a Rotarian for 30 years. And so I have a lot of experience of raising money. And one of the things I think that 2020 taught me, uh, and a word that I think is important is relevance. And I've been kind of preaching relevance, especially to nonprofits for a long time, uh, because there's a lot of nonprofits that you know, rely on the certain system that they've been on, whether it's government grants or whether it's, you know, for instance, United Way, where they're out and they're in the corporate campaigns. And and, um, uh, the the college that I was on the board of, and I'm hopefully, I'll get to answering your question, but when I was on that board, you know, a lot of times I was on the finance committee and they were talking about, oh my goodness, if the state cuts back on money and then that's going to affect us and, you know, what are we going to do? And they're kind of used to reacting instead of being proactive. Uh, so I always told them, I'm like, in the, in the end, no matter what nonprofit you're with, the people that are funding you are your audience, whether it's the taxpayers or whether it's the, the givers. Um, and we need to really be, be showing our relevancy and how we are making a difference and what we are doing in the world at all times and not necessarily waiting until there's some kind of crisis um, to let them know that. And so that's kind of been my mantra all along, which kind of I can get, I can be a person that can kind of put a burr in people's saddle sometimes as I call it, because, and that's why people liked me on their board some, a lot of times because I was always pushing them uh, to become more relevant and to really make sure that we've got really, really good relationships with our donors and or the taxpayers, whoever it is that we're focusing on. Uh, because we know with the swift of a pen or with a, a year of a pandemic or whatever it is, um, just like me being a financial advisor for 30 years, I know that that I can't like set a plan for you and then say, this is exactly how the world's going to work out and nothing's ever going to go down and you're never going to have a death in your family or what, you know, whatever it is there. It's, it's those team moments where we know we come to that T intersection and we need to make a decision because we can no longer go straight and we either need to turn this way or this way. Um, and having people on your board and people in your advisory group, that are constantly saying, eventually, this what we're doing in fundraising is not going to work the way it's working now. So we always need to be looking past that. So I think um, having boards and nonprofits talk about the relevancy that they bring to the world, um, you know, talk about how do I get people to um, contribute on a monthly basis? That's a big thing that I try to help people do because even whether it's investing in yourself and your family, or whether it's investing in your church or the nonprofit or whoever it is, if I can really put a a strategy together to say, we'd really like to have a certain number of people that are giving us $50 a month or $100 a month or some kind of monthly amount, um, business people will like a strategy like that because they'll say, what are you doing to kind of secure your overhead costs? And to make sure that you're a going concern, because if I'm going to give money to a nonprofit, you know, I want to make sure that they can fulfill that mission and that they can be there consistently for those people that need their help. Because if if all of a sudden they're gone and off the table um, and not available to help those people a year from now, um, that certainly isn't beneficial to, you know, those people that are in need um, of those services, whatever it is they might be providing. So, Um, I think they sometimes miss 
the fact that they could really get good help from business people. And really, number one, they are a business. They need to run it like a business. Um, I'm big on telling them, yes, everyone always brags about how their, their overhead costs are so low. And um, although for some people that's going to be a priority, for me, it's about the mission and the purpose and what are we doing um, and our goal is to help a thousand people. Well, well, how many people out there need the help? Well, 2000 people. Well, our goal should be helping 2000 people and, and setting those expectations and, and really trying to go for the moon because a lot of people will really want to get behind something that actually is, is really like has that big purpose, has that big goal, has something that they'll say, yes, I'm behind that and I'm willing to put you on my monthly, you know, $250 a month or whatever it is I can afford um, to help them get that consistent flow of money. And when you do that, then that's going to be, I think, way more attractive to the larger donors um, and people that might come in and just give you, you know, the ten dollars or $20,000 gifts because they know that you've got this consistent flow of people. And that also makes me feel like there's a lot of people that have done due diligence because if they're willing to give you kind of monthly amounts um, and set up some kind of a monthly ritual with you that they're giving, um, it doesn't necessarily mean they've done the due diligence, but I think it's going to help you express to those other donors that you're trying to reach out to that you do have 100 or 200 or 300 people that are giving to you monthly. The mindset around asking for money becomes much more about the goal and the bigger purpose that, that they could really impact and affect because all of the overhead is really covered. Mm -hmm. I think those are such great points. And I want to ask you another kind of big question you know, and it may make some people uncomfortable. So this is what you're here for. Good. I love those. <laughs> so if you're on the board and you have been um, given a position or a seat on a board because you have a stature in a company, right? And so it's like, okay, I'm sitting on a board and the fees are paid by the company. The expectation of your involvement or your personal contribution, right, of time, money, resources, I think sometimes you know, that just kind of goes by the wayside, like, well, because I want to be in the community, now I have a position. And right. we talk so much about leadership and influence and like, it's just not about the position or title. It's about mm -hmm. what you do to serve. And so what are some creative ways, I guess, I want to ask you, put you on the spot here, to get board members interested more than just about the position, but about the cause, if they have been selected or uh, placed on there, you know, for visibility. I get it. Um, but what are some creative strategies that you might recommend? Yeah, I think there's two things. One, some sometimes in nonprofits, we have all of the people that are passionate because it's it's cancer or it's you know whatever it is that it's I, I've been touched by it in my family and I'm really passionate about it. And maybe I don't have a lot of money, but I'm on the board because I'm passionate because I support a couple organizations that help single moms because I was a single mom at 17. And so there's a lot of people there that are really passionate about it. Um, and then if you get your board totally full of all these passionate people that don't necessarily have the business mindset and can't go after the bigger dollars, then that's a struggle. And I see that happening. Likewise, on some of the boards I'm on, now we're all about positioning and it's a senior vice president of a company that gives a big donation or like your chamber boards would be an example, you know, where people are put on that, those boards um, because of their stature or because of their job title, but they're not really excited about, you know, doing the work. Uh, and then there's people that go on the boards and say, you know, I'm serving my time and I'm volunteering, but I'm not going to give my money. And, you know, my mantra has always been when you are serving for an organization, you have to be supported to ask for money. You have to be giving money. You have to be giving time that it's not an either or I'm giving this because, you know, I'm just writing a check, but I'm not going to show up at any of the events. Um, I think it's really important for board leadership to have a clear, clear set of kind of rules of the road that by being on this board, here's the minimum expectations that we expect. And, and to really go out and instead of taking all comers, a lot of boards will just take whoever's passionate or whoever says yes. 
Um, and what I like to do is challenge the boards I'm on to say, who do we need on the board to fill a certain seat? Do we need somebody um, in a specific industry? We need somebody with more financial expertise, or we need somebody with more marketing expertise. Um, and we start to make a grid of who should be on the board, um, you know, from a standpoint of, of what, what types of industries do we need to represent? What types of um, community members do we need to represent? Do we have somebody from um, this particular industry or the faith community um, or the government? You know, do we have somebody from the government so that, you know, when we're trying to do things and the cities or the counties are, you know, maybe causing issues, um, are we making sure that we have kind of all of those boxes checked? And I like to build a grid that says, you know, here are the different sectors, industries, um, uh, representatives from big business, from small business, um, because a lot of times you will get very, the mindset on the board will become very, very shallow um, if we haven't really thought through, are we checking all of the boxes of who should be on the board? Um, and and I, definitely, I, I definitely think, I just told, uh, it was two weeks ago, I was talking to somebody about a board uh, and I said, um, everyone on your board should be meeting with people, um, should be asking for money, should know how to ask for money, and should have, you know, their the FAQs so that they really know the talking points. Um, and there should be a minimum expectation of how many people in a year or in six months or whatever the time frame is that they should be, you know, really be raising money also. Because if you're on a board of directors of a nonprofit, um, you're not just there for the meetings. And once again, that's the differential on a board. You have people that just show up for the meetings, but really, you know, the work gets done between the meetings. The important stuff gets done between the meetings. And so when people leave a board meeting, there should always be here are the three or four things that we need from you before the next board meeting. And it's not just all put on one or two people's shoulders, because that's also what I've experienced um, is it's very few people that are trying to do that. And they think the, the, the paid staff of a nonprofit should be doing all of that. And really the paid staff of the nonprofit um, are not or shouldn't necessarily, I'm going to be very general here, but in, in generalities, the, it's the leadership of the board that should be seen in the community or be the one that's really driving the force um, because your staff can change. Um, you know, they can die, they can quit, you could need to fire them. Um, and I see that also being a big, huge problem with nonprofits because they, they just put so much on the staff and the staff is leading everything and the staff is asking for all the money and the staff is, uh, you know, telling everybody on the board everything to do. Um, and they really enable them, you know, to not be as prepared and not, um, you know, fulfill their duties as, as, as board members um, if they're not giving them those things to do. So I don't know if that answers the question, but those are my experiences. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, on the boards I've been on, when we've been able to make those pivots, it's been it's been dramatically uh, a game changer for people. Because you're gonna, my, my rule always was when I was taking over leadership of a board is I want to bring the devil to the table. Uh, I want to bring at least one person that does not believe in our organization or does not fully support them. I want to bring them onto my board because if we are really committed in doing a good job, we should want to bring one or two people in at a minimum that are not really up to stuff with what we're doing, aren't supportive. Um, and then what happens is we have a chance to really build something strong because we're listening to people that are, are not the passionate, already know everything about what we're doing, and they're going to help us really get to that next level. Then they're going to bring in a whole other group of people mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily familiar with us or support us or um, you know, maybe have this kind of mindset of, you know, we don't really do a good job on this. I mean, I'm using uh, specifically my thoughts around United Way. You know, there were people in our community that weren't really supportive of United Way. Um, and I got one of them to get onto our board. And he ended up becoming um, the chair of the fundraising, the chair of the board, one of the biggest proponents in the community. And when I first went in and talked to him the first time, he's like, I just don't, 
I don't see what they do. I don't see the relevancy of what they're doing. And I'm like, will you just serve one year on our board and then um, learn? No, actually, I put him into the committee where they decide where the dollars go. So they had to do all the interviewing of all the organizations and decide what organizations to support and how much money to give each organization. And of course, every organization never got what they asked for because we could never raise everything that they wanted. And he realized how hard that was. He also then realized the need in the community was much greater than he ever saw because he didn't see that need. And he, you know, I remember uh, when he was the chair of the board, he said, I, you know, I just want to thank Robin Edgar because I wasn't supportive of this organization five years ago. And she encouraged me to get on the the allocation committee, and I really realized how much benefit and how important this organization is to our community. And I just remember those types of things because that's really, I think, what all nonprofits should really be focusing on is how do we get those people that don't know about us or don't believe in us um, to really care and bringing them into the fold um, and putting them under the shelter and and taking opinions from them um, can really, really be beneficial to expanding your organizations and finding out where the flaws are or, or the things we need to improve. Mm-hmm. And it can change somebody's whole perspective of belief in themselves, right? 100%. I wasn't ever asked or given the opportunity to participate. And then you say, hey, would you, would you be mm-hmm. the person that starts this or create mm-hmm. this space? And so then maybe they become somebody that's um, that really respected in the community because you've given them that opportunity, right? To Correct. Word and volunteer. And also stories sell in all business. Stories sell. So for me, when I was going out and raising money for um, our local daycare that provided subsidized daycare for people that couldn't afford daycare, and we all know how important that is. And I used it when I was a single mother to go to college and they subsidized and paid for part of that. Um, I use Meals on Wheels for my grandmother um, because she wasn't able to cook good meals. She was able to stay at home, but it it took the stress off, off of us because we had jobs. And so I had experiences um, with a lot of the organizations. And so I would go in and just share these stories with people. It wasn't about saying, give me your money. It was about I am, you know, a very successful person. I, uh, you know, give a lot of money to uh, many organizations. But you know what? I found myself in the past needing some of these organizations. And, it, you know, when your house burns down and you need the Red Cross, it has no difference if you've made 50000 a year, 20000 a year, or $5 million a year. Um, having those organizations there and able to help you at that moment of struggle, no matter what your income is, um, we need to make sure those organizations are strong um, and that and that they're there to support people. And so I would always, you know, really relate it to some real life stories of either me or people I knew. Uh, and I think sometimes we don't do enough of that because really that's what a lot of givers are, are looking for is um, why do you care and what's your story and why do you support them? And that's where the leadership of the board, you know, they need to either get their own story or refine their own story or even just have someone else's story. I don't always have to have my own story, but I need to you know, I need to have a story of someone that really was helped by our organization and be able to tell that with with some feeling, because that's what helps people pay attention to you versus just the stats about what we need to do and and how this is happening. So I think stories are really, really important for nonprofits Um, and even helping your board members come up with those stories, you know, can be really, really important uh, because it doesn't need to be long and drawn out. It just needs to be about why they're involved um, and why they think it's important for me to be involved and to give. That's such a great, I think of my friend, Steve Gamlin and his, vision board exercises, you know, his vision stories. And what a great thing to be able to think about if you're in a nonprofit. And and so to bring someone in and create that vision exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Story that you're carrying on throughout the organization so that you can carry that into the community. Yes. Uh, and so I love And talk that. about, you know, for instance, single mothers, it's like and, and subsidized day, you know, childcare. We all know how important that is. 
And so if it's me sitting home getting unemployment because I can't afford childcare, and yet I know in most cases my, my children really need to be in a structured system where they're learning and they're learning social skills. And, you know, and once again, and then that takes people off the role of the government. It gives them that uplifted feeling that they, they are really working for themselves. They're showing their kids by the, the, the tongue in their shoe, you know, um, their self-worth goes up. Um, the kids, you know, develop better social skills. They're more prepared for school. I mean, you know, once again, that's the story I, I like to tell is there's a weave where we can go through that depending on who I'm talking to about why spending a few dollars to subsidize childcare, as one example, um, can really turn an entire community around. Um, if we're helping those people, really, we need better people in the workforce. We need people, you know, um, it, it's just... Yeah, that's an example of where I would use those stories of how that made a difference. And it does affect everybody in our community. My goodness, you are such a wealth of power, girl. <laughs> well, experience counts, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I was very lucky at an early age, uh, became a Rotarian when I was young. Uh, and people don't know how to be board members. So once again, I know we probably weren't going to just talk about boards, but but being a board member is a learned skill. You don't, you know, just know how to be on the board. And I was very lucky at a young age to um, be in a rotary club that had older members that knew how to serve on boards, that knew how to encourage younger people to get the skills they need to be good board members and then eventually become board leaders. Uh, and that really helped me in my 20s when I was able to, in my late 20s and early 30s, to, to really learn and hone those skills um, being taught by, by older people. Uh, and that's what I think we should be doing um, because people don't just naturally know how to do those things. So when you're looking at that, that checkbox, I was talking about age of the people uh, make a difference because I want to see younger people on boards so that they can learn, you know, Robert's rules of order and all of those things that, you know, you just normally don't learn until you get the opportunity to serve on those boards. And now is a great opportunity for mm -hmm. people that have not experienced that. Like, you know, everybody would create another position if you have, say, I want to learn, even as an intern, yes. right? I want to help you raise money to put my position on that board because I care about this and I want to learn. Correct. It's, it's always a creative way. If there's something tugging at your heart, I really want to encourage people. And I knew just this conversation, I was so excited to kind of dig into how you felt about this because I have been involved in so many people this year that are saying, hey, we've got to pivot. And this is just one of those things that in the communities, you know, we've got to, we've got to really take it on our own and, and be able to say, okay, what does this look like? It's got to be a little bit different, but what are some creative ways that we can make it all work? Yeah. And it, it comes back to relevancy because all of those organizations that were relevant, that stayed in touch with me, even if they couldn't do the big galas, you know, they, they sent out some, they got, they got creative on what they were doing. I, you know, there was one that had zooms and they sent you out a box of goodies you know, cost them a lot less than renting a place and, and doing all of that, but they still got everybody together. Um, uh, they still sent out some marketing pieces. They still kept me very informed on what was going on with the, the people that were using um, the funds that I was contributing. And for most of them, uh, I do contribute monthly. Uh, and if they didn't have that program, I helped them set that up and encourage them to set it up. Uh, so that even during these times, they may not be raising as much, um, but most people weren't shutting off those those monthly, you know, reoccurring amounts because they knew that that this is going to be an even more important time. And it's already in my budget and it's already happening. So, you know, I'm not going to stop doing that. So um, relevancy and change, you know, are two things that, you know, 2020 has certainly proven to us, whether it's our business or our nonprofit. Uh, and I think that uh, we need to remember that because even if things get better and things, you know, we move on, uh, I think boards of directors need to really be looking at this and saying, we need to continue to push the needle and continue to be you know, even more relevant next year and more relevant the next year. And, you know, 
um, really make sure we're focused on um, educating and keeping our donors updated on what our relevancy is um, and what we're doing on an ongoing basis at all times so that they never think about not giving us, you know, those donations and that we're always then just adding on top of what we already have. Um, because if we're starting at zero every year, it's really, it, it can be really over, uh, it just can really hurt organizations versus if, you know, if they've got, it's, it's also the thing where I tell people, you know, they should be building, but if you're building a business, what are you building that can create recurring revenue? So that if you're working hard, if you're building some kind of a platform or something, um, some kind of income stream that's coming in, even when you're sleeping or on vacation, um, a lot of people are like, I go out and I do this and I make this. And it's transactional business and, and we all have some of that. Uh, but I see a lot of business people that are building businesses and I'm like, what are you doing for recurring revenue? If you're going to work hard, build something and have something that no matter what happens, um, every year you've got a certain dollar amount that's kind of your floor amount that's coming in. Um, and in my business, that really was the saving grace for 2020 as I have a pretty high number of recurring revenues that come in from the business I've done for 30 years. Uh, and so even though you had some months where people were kind of just not doing much because we all didn't know what was going on for a few months, um, I, I never really had to worry because I have that recurring revenue. So From a business and or nonprofit or whatever perspective, uh, I just challenge people to think about what's that reoccurring revenue that's coming in or what can I be adding to my business or to my platform that's going to create some recurring revenue that I don't have to go out, you know, and transactionally do uh, for every penny, every single month, a new transaction. And I think people get very creative and they think about business differently when they think about what can I do that's that's going to pay me every month. Exactly. Well, and okay, so I want to transition here because when we talk about our purpose, right, mm -hmm. what are we going to do? How are we going to start that side hustle? How are we going to develop maybe seven streams of income that we talk about with wealth, right? Yeah. A quick break because we have so many things that have been on the Everyday Leaders program, which is one of those is the kids that came on last week that were talking about the um, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. They're raising money and their goal is $100,000 in about wow. weeks. And so last week when they were on, we had just kicked it off and they had raised $2,000. And so I text them today and I said, okay, where are we right now? You know, a week later, they're at $14,000. Amazing. I am so excited for this yes. challenge together because I have just been certified in the last few months with the Y Institute. And so I told everybody, hey, if you're going to donate, if you will donate at least $25 to their cause, and I'm going to put their little link up here because I'm trying to help these kids raise $100,000, help them be a voice. And so if you're watching right now and you want to go to this link and you can donate before March the 26th, $25, I will put you into the constant drawing. I'm having drawings all the time and I'm going to give away a free why assessment. So your why, your purpose, the reason that you first exist, why you get up in the morning, why you do what you do. And it's really a complex puzzle when you figure this mm -hmm. out. And so um, anyway, I asked Robin before we got on here live, I said, would you help me do the spin of the wheel, the why wheel? And she said, 
Sure. <laughs> yes, anything. So I think it's so great. So if you are watching, if you're not on this wheel, I'm getting ready to share it here. And I'm going to have Robin do the countdown for us because this winner will receive a free Y assessment. So you'll be contacted afterwards. But let me um, let me go share this here real quick. And dun, 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 dun. it's exciting. We need game show music now. Yes, <laughs> you do. Okay. So, oh my goodness. Awesome. So we've got Lynn and Melanie and Connie and Jennifer and John and Dennis and Michelle. And so when you tell me to click and spin the wheel, we will spin it and see who the winner is. All right. Three, two, one. Here we go. Good luck, everybody. Ooh. Yay, it's John. Nice. All right. Congratulations. Congratulations, John. We will be contacting you very soon. I'm so excited about this. It's um, it's a great way to be able to help people. And you know, this this investment, uh, it's about a $250 value. So the people that are doing this, you know, I really want to help raise money, raise awareness. And I am just excited that people are participating. And it felt right. It's right in with our fundraising here tonight, our conversations about how yes. you get involved and really take your next level up. Um, and so, Robin, I want to celebrate you because you, when I met you first, you told me about all the things that you had done in corporate America, right? So we talk about the women breaking the ceiling. And you're mm -hmm. like, I don't even worry about that. <laughs> you have just really people that have known you now through this last part of the show can really adapt to your attitude about life. And so what you're doing now is you're helping people with their financial wealth. Yes. All, that, all that you're doing, you know, really trying to make yourself secure for the rest of your life. And so can you tell us a little bit about that background? And I love that you helped us with the, the nonprofit and the boards because that's so important. And so I, I just, I celebrate you for so many reasons. I really want you to be able to share, you know, how people can connect to you and the value that you're bringing to people's lives right now. Well, I think, you know, I've been a financial advisor for 30 years and really I, I call myself a wealth strategist because uh, I think that what I what I've realized over the years is that um, people are participating in their plan at work, or people are thinking about, well, I need to have protection for, uh, you know, I need life insurance once I have a family, and and I need car insurance, and and I know I need a will, but we don't really know everything we're doing for the will. And what what happens is there's so many of these aspects of life, which isn't just the financial plan, but it's the overall wealth strategy that most people are not confident. Like if I ask people, are you really confident that, you know, for your short term, if we have a pandemic and this is why last year was really good, because I could immediately see when I talked to people that even weren't my clients because I knew my clients were fine but that weren't my clients, the people that tended to what I call freak out and really be super stressed about this um, were people that didn't have that three to six months of living expenses in their savings account. And, and those people that did, I, I noticed right away that, you know, that first six to eight weeks where we didn't really know what was going on and we really didn't want to come out of our house and, um, and those types of things. Um, the people that had that in savings and had thought about that and been prepared for that really had a different mindset. You know, they had uh, uh, their families didn't tend to be as worried because, you know, finance is one of those things that 50 percent of the people get divorced because of finance. You know, kids can sense when when finance isn't good. I mean, they can read between the lines. And I, I just we need people to be confident but it's not just about how much am I putting in my 401k because what you had in your 401k um, didn't really help you in that first three to six months of losing your job or having you know an issue of not knowing whether you were going to have a job. Um, and so as a strategist, what I do is really help people deep dive into today, tomorrow, and their legacy. Like, we don't know how long our time is here on earth. We need to be prepared for short-term emergencies or pandemics. We also need to be prepared for inheriting money. 
Um, statistically, we will spend more time taking care of our parents and our grandparents than we will our kids. And so a lot of people aren't prepared for that. They don't know how to have those conversations with their parents about, you know, what's going to happen to them because people, as I say, people don't go from here to dead. Most of the time they go from here to here to here to here, you know, and I, I do a little diagram of all of these different things and all, each one of those little, little points in life um, is, is a real stressor for the family, for the kids, for the parents, for the grandparents. Uh, and so what, what I try to do is help people say, if you could really be confident that no matter what happens, because we can't prepare for everything that's going to happen in life because we don't know what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. But we do know that all of us are going to have those T moments, you know, the divorce, a, a loss of a child or the loss of a parent or the loss of uh, a coworker or our business, you know, blows up or we want to start a business. I mean, I can name a hundred without even taking a breath probably that, you know, we've come into is if I could help you really be confident that we know that we are prepared to be able to make the best decision when we hit that T intersection, when we ram into that T intersection and we know going straight forward on whatever that issue is, is no longer an option. You need to have that trusted advisor team. You need to have those people available to you that really know your situation, that know your risk tolerance that know everything about you and how you make decisions to help guide you to, okay, this is what's going to happen if we go this way. This is what's going to happen if we go this way. This is why I think we should do this. Here's how we can overcome that. Um, and here's how you make the decision to move on. And a lot of people, you know, either just use their spouse, which God love us, but a lot of times we need somebody outside of just me and my spouse to help us make those good decisions um, and it's not necessarily our parents um, or people that know us well. Uh, and that's really the role that I play with a lot of my clients is I'm that trusted advisor that they can come to with any question, any issue. And what I do with strategy is really help people to make those decisions and to be confident that we are prepared for the short, medium and long term of life and that we can do that all at once. Is even if people aren't prepared for retirement today, like a 30-year-old isn't prepared for retirement today, but I can help them and I help them with a strategy. Um, and I call it a strategy versus a plan because people, I don't know, I think the word strategy is much better because a strategy has the ability to flex and move. Um, and it's, it's really about strategically thinking about, do you ever want to start a business? I mean, when I ask a 30-year-old that, they're like, well, they've never even thought of that. And I'm like, well, you don't have to. Um, but if you're ever thinking about doing it, there's things that we need to be doing before that. Like you can't be going in at the age of 45 and pulling money out of your 401k to do that. We need to be saving outside of what you're doing in your 401k and those types of things. Um, and uh, so I, I just love the strategy is what I'm really good at and what I really love to do. And so that's really, um, I think, the most important thing. And the word confidence, if you took a survey of my clients, you know, and asked them and they're like, I'm just confident that I'm not going to run out of money. And I'm confident that no matter what happens in life, that we're prepared for it. Um, and that Robin's, you know, thought through and helped me plan for you know, all of those things that might happen. Uh, and I think once people do that, it's just, it takes the whole financial stress of life away. We know we've got enough cash flow coming in to live the lifestyle we want. Um, you know, and it, 30 years of experience, I've definitely seen the market and the world go through things, I think, much more difficult than the pandemic. Uh, we always think whatever crisis we're in right now, is like nothing we've ever seen before. And in some ways, that's always the case. But the feelings that you have are really no different than 2008 and 9 when the stock market went down 50%. Or in 2000, Y2K, when we thought the world was going to end because none of our computers would work. And then we had a correction in the market. And then we had 9-11. Um, you know, and I can go on and on and on. Um, none of those were things we, we planned for, prepared for, but I try to get people to also look back and say, how did you feel at that moment? 
And what do we need to do today so that the next time that crisis hits, we're not feeling the way we did today? Because people can recitate, you know, can recite buy low and sell high when we're just talking about the market, but the average investor does the absolute reverse. Um, And I think this last few, just this last 30 days has shown me that because uh, a bunch of my staff and people I know are all coming up to me, oh, this Reddit thing and this GameStop thing and, you know, this Robinhood thing and everybody's buying Bitcoin and, you know, they're all going crazy over this stuff. And I turned to my assistant and I said, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This could be a sign. This is generally, and once again, I'm not giving advice to anyone, not making recommendations, but generally when the common person starts talking about the market as a huge buying opportunity, it's probably about ready to go off the cliff. And when people are fearful and like the market's never going to come back and I need to pull all my money out like in 08 and 09, that was the time that people should be buying. And, um, and so we help people take the emotion out of it. I'm like, we need to buy when it's low and we need to sell when it's high, but people do not ever do that. Like I'm telling people to sell funds that are up 30% for the year and to buy funds that are only up 3%. And they're like, why would I do that? And I'm like, because you should buy low and sell high, you know? And so that once you get people through a couple of those cycles, the confidence just goes through the roof because now people are starting to say, instead of focusing on what the issue is today and that T intersection today and that market movement today and whatever the political system is doing today and all of these things that we can just pile on top of each other saying these are always reasons why we shouldn't be doing anything. Um, I'm getting people so excited because they're ready for when that correction happens or when that bad event happens because they see the huge opportunity it is like the market from what is it? March 23rd. Don't quote me on this. I think March 23rd was the low last year. I just looked this morning because I keep a tab. The S and P 500 is up 70% since March 23rd. So for all of those clients of mine, you know who you are that called and said, you know, at the worst possible moment, I need to put money in and I think I should buy. And I was recommending buying. I mean, we've made 70% on that money since March. So once again, if you didn't do that, it doesn't mean that life is over and that you should stop thinking about it. But I'm going to be strategically, you know, I'm helping people remember that when these huge downdrafts happen, there's just so much opportunity out there that that's, that's when people really need to wake up and not pull back. Um, and so anyway, I can, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about what I do and I'm passionate about having people be confident um, that they aren't going to run out of money um, and developing a portfolio that works for them today, tomorrow, and at their death, um, whenever that is so that they're, you know, that the IRS and Uncle Sam isn't their biggest benefactor. That's the big thing that people don't realize is, is you can plan. Uh, and with good planning, you can, you know, make sure more of your assets are actually going to your loved ones. Um, if you fail to plan, um, the government just basically kind of spanks you a little bit harder because um, without a decent plan, um, they're going to be a, hu- a much bigger benefactor um, uh, down the road in retirement and at death because of estate issues um, than if we can get somebody really thinking ahead and putting the time and energy in ahead of time. Uh, Uncle Sam becomes much less of a benefactor, and, and he allows you to do that, but not without stroking some pencil and paper and doing a plan and putting your will and your estate and things in place. So I'm not an attorney. I don't give legal advice, but I make sure that people are prepared for that. And once they're prepared, um, the sky's the limit. They start really recognizing that there is a lot of potential out there and ways to make money that are not something that they're going to find. The stuff I help people with is not something they're going to find on the internet. Well, it's a great strategy. I love, you know what you say, it's not a plan, it's a strategy because Mm -hmm. when you strategy, you know that you're going to have to pivot, right? Mm -hmm. Obstacles are going to come up and you're going to have to say, okay, now that I know everything that I know, what can I do next? And so that's why I just absolutely adore you because you have all this credibility. You have been in the workplace, you have helped boards, you've helped communities. 
And now you're really helping people say like, I'm going to challenge you to think differently, to say, you know, if this happened, would you be okay? Would you be secure? And that's what mm -hmm. we all need to be thinking about. We have been this year. Some people have really taken a strategy to put that in place and some are still really worried. You know, they've yeah. lost a lot of access to jobs. They're, they're having to transfer. Some of them have to move. We've had people, you know, suffering with all kinds of um, yes. health crisis, right? And so then you say financially, that could impact your world in a way that you never had planned for. But um, right. this is- I mean, just not having a job for a couple months or having to, you know, cash out. I mean, the government says, yes, you can get into your 401k if you lost your job and all of that. But, and, and people think, well, that's kind of a relief. But now that just puts your retirement and what's available for you to spend at retirement just sets you back because just say you had to take 10000 out and you're 35 years old. If you had another 30 years of that 10000 growing, that's going to double. Rule of 72, if you earn you know, 7%, your money doubles every 10 years. So that 10000 would have went to 20, would have went to 40, would have went to 80. And now that's 80000 kind of less. Um, that you would have um, in your plan. So it's a good short-term fix, um, but is it really the best thing to do? Uh, and having a, a team of trusted advisor people that you can reach out to and say, here's my situation. What do you think is the best thing that I should do? Um, and once again, uh, you know, people should have a home equity line, you know, that they could tap into. Um, the, you know, the, the secret and bankers will tell you the bankers don't want to give you money when you need it. They want to give you money when you don't need it. So, so, you know, would it make sense for us to have a home equity line, you know, that we could just tap into if we had issues, uh, instead of pulling out of our retirement plan, um, because you may not have had to pay taxes on that money, but, you know, if you do have to pay or penalty on that money, but if you have to pay taxes and penalty to pull that money out um, to be able to fulfill some of that, you know, you might be better off paying six or seven percent interest on something for six months than paying all that tax and penalty. So I just make people think outside the box a little bit and they still make their own decisions. But uh, I think people in general would agree with me that if you have smart, trusted people in your corner um, throughout the time that know you, um, when those T moments happen, you've got an easy phone call to one or two people. Uh, here's my situation. What should I do? Um, you're going to be 100% more confident that you're, you're thinking through everything you should be thinking through about how to make that decision. Uh, because it's usually at an emotional time too. And we know that at emotional times, we generally don't make the best decisions. Uh, and so I try to help people really take the emotion out of it. And I'm constantly reminding people I work with, um, we need to just learn how to take the emotion out of these decisions. And we need to make it more black and white. Like here's option A and here's option B and here's option C. Here's the pros and cons to each. Here's how we could come to that decision. Uh, and even if the decision is still to take the money out of the 401k, um, at least they feel like they made that decision just at a much higher confidence level. And they're not going to be worried about it and laying in, in bed and losing sleep over it um, and distracting from their family life. Because your kids and your spouse, um, you know, really can sense that when when things aren't going well financially and that you're, you're having a hard time making decisions. So uh, I, I really... I really try to help people, you know, just have that advocate in their corner. Um, and I can't give you any proof or numbers on, you know, divorce and all of that. But I can tell you that I have very few clients over 30 years that have been divorced. Um, and I'm not taking credit for that. But I do think when you wipe away the financial stress um, and you have someone that can help you through those tough times, um, that isn't necessarily your next door neighbor or your best friend or your parents um, that can help that critical thinking skill and that strategic thinking skill. Um, the sky's the limit for people when they have those types of people, you know, on their team and in their corner. And, and that's really what I help people develop is not just me, but 
who's the CPA, who's the attorney, who's the banker, you know, who are all these trusted advisors that we need to have in our corner today when things are going really, really good. Um, because if they know, like, and trust me when things are going really good, they're more likely to be supportive and helping me when things aren't going so good. Exactly. Exactly. My goodness, Robin. Um, uh, I could keep you on here for days. I just love you. And I, I know that we're going to be in the same circle soon together live somewhere. And, and so I want to just continue to invite you to come back and share your knowledge about all of these things that we've talked about, because people really need this information. Yes. Today and moving forward, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I said I should have had you on here in March. <laughs> you know, last yeah. year we've been having this conversation uh, because there are so many people that have had to make these choices. And yes, um, it's important, you know. But the thing is, don't beat ourselves up if you didn't know what you didn't know until today. Now you Correct. know it. So, and if you're a business owner, I, I really stress, you know. Um, business owners have a lot on their, on their plate. Um, they are expected to have our health plan and our retirement plan and our disability plan and, you know, and, and answer all the questions. And most business owners don't really know any more about this stuff than what we do as employees. Uh, and so I just, I would really stress if there's business owners out there, you know, that are, that are listening to this saying, you know, how can we bring this education to our employees um, one of the best things that I love to do is, you know, lunch and learns, even if they're Zoom or in person um, and have have trusted advisors from your communities come in once a month, invite an insurance person in to talk. It might not be the person in your plan, but just provide your employees a, a place where they can come and be vulnerable because most people think I'm the only one that doesn't understand mutual funds, or I'm the only one that doesn't understand what a Roth IRA is, or I'm the only one that doesn't understand the importance of life insurance or how I can use that as a living benefit, not just a death benefit. Pe people don't understand this stuff. And so if you're at home saying, I don't understand this stuff and I'm a business owner and I don't know how to advise people, um, you know, I, I encourage you to go out and find some trusted advisory people in your community. Reach out to me. I'm happy to help. Um, and do some lunch and learns for your employees where it's, it's, it's not the standard meeting. It's like we're trying to give you information about a specific topic um, that we think is pertinent for you and start introducing some of your trusted advisors to your employees so that they can be resources for them. Uh, and everyone can be in a room thinking to themselves, wow, I wonder if I'm the only one that didn't know that I probably shouldn't put my minor kids as beneficiaries on my qualified plan. Uh, you know, do people know? I know we don't have time to, but, you know, do people understand really if you and your spouse get killed in a car wreck and you've got your minor kids as beneficiaries and they're five and three years old, um, what happens in that situation if you don't have a will and you have them on? You know, those are some of the questions I fling out in a meeting like that. And everybody's looking at me and they're like, holy crap, I never even thought about something like that. You know, what's the answer? Uh, and so once again, we can't give like this is exactly what everyone should do. But but I'm a myth buster. And that's what a lot of people call me as I'm a you know, all these things that people say, you know, you know, you'll have your house paid off. You only need 60 or 70 percent of your pre-retirement income or, you know, all of this stuff. And and I don't have any clients where where that's the case, where uh, your house is a roof over your head. On my website, I have some great videos, like little four minute videos about should I rent or should I buy a house? Um, should I use my insurance for a living benefit or a death benefit? I just take some of these topics and these myths that people um, hear about yeah, debt-free, I should be debt-free. And I said, homeless people are debt-free. Being debt-free isn't make you financially secure. Um, and so there's a lot of people rushing to pay off debt, but they're not putting any money aside. And so once again, um, if you were paying down your debt and putting extra on your house, I'm not saying that's not a right thing, but I'm just helping you think outside the box. And then you run into a pandemic and you lose your job for six months yeah, the, they, you, the bank might be able to let you go without making payments, but all those extra payments that you made on your mortgage, 
how do you get access to that cash when you don't have cash? So I, I just, I really push back on people. I debate people. I make people think outside the box. Um, I make people's head hurt because that's usually what happens when they leave talking to me. It's like, oh, I never thought about this stuff, but it's, it's so amazing. All of the things that, that I learned just in, you know, a 20 minute meeting. And so I challenge business owners do some lunch and learns, bring in some people, make your people kind of think a little bit harder, um, encourage them to realize that they, they aren't expected to know all of this stuff. We don't get trained about finance in high school or even in college. People can have four-year degrees and still not understand this. It is a specialty area. And I think, you know, there are a lot of good advisors out there. There are some that aren't so good. <laughs> Um, if your gut tells you it's a good match, that really makes a difference. And so I just challenge people and business owners to, to do what they can to, you know, really be educating. I work with a company called AFE, which is a free service, uh, that it's a government service that the government pays this nonprofit, um, to be, to offer free sessions for employees, for businesses, and so I go in and do free sessions on financial planning, or we have hundred different topics that we can talk about. Um, there's no cost to the employer um, to bring us in. And um, so I love educating, as you can tell. And so I do that um, because that's part of my give back. If I can give um, information and help people, you know, over some of these T moments or, or just over the hump, um, it comes back to me tenfold um, in so many different ways. And I just, I just absolutely love educating. So, so I've got a lot of resources that I can share with people and or programs that, that business owners even might be very interested in learning more about. Well, that's awesome, Robin. And I've put all of your information in the the list here that, that sent out. So wherever you're watching this, whatever social media channel you're watching, um, that's, Robin's email address. So reach out to her and she can help you with all of these strategies. And, and as you, if you're listening to this now, or if you go back and listen to this, so if you're on a board, if you're in a nonprofit, if you're trying to start a nonprofit, if you are struggling with what can you do with your legacy money to mm -hmm. get involved, uh, if you don't know how to manage your money, get involved with Robin. There's so many things, this little thread, right? This woven thread um, that she has all this information on that really to add value to your life and to be able to really make you feel secure and confident, yes. and confident right? That's what it's confident. Um, confidence is, is what people need. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how much better you sleep at night, how much healthier you feel um, and just how much easier it is for you to make a hard decision because we all have to make hard decisions. Every year we're making hard decisions. If you're confident in your financial strategy and the team of trusted advisors that you have access to that can help you um, with those decisions. So it's been a pleasure. I loved being on here. And as you can tell, I'm very passionate about all of these topics and, uh, you know, wisdom and experience comes from age, uh, and doing things and learning things the hard way. And so, um, any kind of help I can be, um, in any of those topics to anybody out there listening, um, it is not, a, there's no cost and no obligation, you know, to call me and talk about any of these topics we've discussed today. I would absolutely welcome that. That's awesome, Robin. And you're Robin Edgar for people that are listening, E-D-G-A-R on LinkedIn. And then what's your website, Robin? It's wealthprogressiongroup.com. So there's ways to contact me there. There's uh, some really nice PDF checklists of what are the questions you should be asking your advisor. Uh, I think I've got like 16 videos on there. They're very short videos, but they're very relevant to just beginning um, topics that people should be listening to. And uh, so there's a lot of resources there and uh, would love to get any kind of feedback from people and or you can reach out to me um, through LinkedIn or through my website, if you have any interest in setting up a call with me, there's no cost to have a consultation with me or even as a business owner, talk to me about what are the different ways that we could educate, update, inform, um, and really enhance your relationships with your, with your employees. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Robin, 
Thank you so much. Please come back. You're always welcome as a friend of everyday leaders and to help us educate and make those pivots that we need to for our strategy. Thank you for all you thank you for all you're doing. And I will go on tomorrow and make a donation to that uh to that organization. I think that's, that's awesome. Will that also be in the link of the the show? Yes, it will also be links to all the shows. So yes, anybody listening here, don't forget the kids are rising, tried a hundred thousand dollars until March, the end of March. So if you can, let's help them out because they are getting nominated for students of the year in at Carroll High School in Dayton, Ohio. So what better way can we do? Can we support our kids and just the leaders they're becoming by just doing this? The leadership skills they're developing um, are just lifelong skills. Um, And all of us that have, you know, been in leadership and had kids, we just we realize that these are the types of things that really create the, 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 the adults of tomorrow that are going to be taking care of us in the nursing homes and the hospitals and all of those things. I, I just, whatever we can do to support these kind of good kid activities and educating and informing people of these important organizations, I think it's, it's, it's just glorious. Yep. Spot on. Perfect timing. My yep. friend, thank you so much for joining. Thank us you. Tonight. And uh, please take care and please come back and visit us. All right. Rob? I will. Thank all you right. so much for having me. Thank you.